Hello, and welcome to episode four of our JRB podcast. Uh, got me, Ryan Levine, joined with Jeff Jones and Bowden Temnick. And we're going to be talking about YCS Minneapolis that just happened, um, the upcoming YCS Pasadena, and how we think that'll shape up, uh, mainly being influenced by the new product, uh, Magnificent Mavens. So I guess let's just start with YCS uh, Minneapolis that just happened. Um, All right, everyone, raise your hand if you played Minneapolis. <laughs> All right, Ryan, you should be the only one raising your hand. <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, I finished uh, top eight at Minneapolis uh, this weekend. Uh, the deck profile has been recorded, but has not yet been published um, on the Patreon, but will be going up shortly, either shortly before or very shortly after uh, this video will be posted. So uh, for those of you who are not patrons and are you know enjoying the podcast um we will soon be having patreon exclusive podcasts and we also have our own patreon uh content that goes up there um the deck profile i recorded for this was about 30 minutes long um just That's going over well yeah it's supposed to be it's just going over every like all the interaction it, it's not just if you just want to see the deck list like the deck list is on my facebook page like you know you can just check that out and but Twitter. i and Twitter, i can't yeah. believe ryan ryan managed to stretch out a deck profile for 30 minutes for a deck that Jeff convinced him to play on Thursday. <laughs> that's that's ridiculous, to yeah. me, but I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. In so, a group chat Thursday, what do I run? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like this deck. Okay, that's fine. Ryan, R Ryan, an hour later. Holy shit. This deck has been crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I guess like the backstory is uh, I was going to play a tier element Vistral deck. And then I was playing it uh, with some of the more competent people at my locals on the Sunday before the event. And it just wasn't, it didn't seem that great. Or rather, it seemed like it had a lot of flaws. Like, the Charlemagne cards are obviously very strong, but they're being targeted down, like, tremendously, especially Pretty with heavily. the release of the Bistral cards. And... I felt like adding the whole big Bistral engine just added a ton of cards that you either don't really want to draw or are really only playable against a tier element deck. The main ones were just, as much as I love Bistral Lubellion and Branded Beast and, you know, that whole big package, and I do think it is very strong and, you know, and I would like to explore it more down the line, just drawing Branded Beast or any of those, or like Sarnir a lot of the time too, just felt so bad in, in that deck, in my opinion. So I was not really happy with it. Um, Jeff was telling me that he had been trying out like a, you know, a, a pretty like standard-ish sprite deck, or at least, you know, nothing like, you know, nothing that was like reinventing the wheel. And then I kind of gave that a spin. And one of the big problems I had with sprite previously, like when Ronin Toten was still legal, um, but before Darkwing Blast is, I actually just didn't think it was that consistent, which sounds ridiculous to say, but a lot of the time when I was trying to play that deck, I would just have like only one level two monster. Like I wouldn't have two level twos. And then if you don't have two level twos, you, you can't really do anything, right? Like it doesn't really matter what else you have. Um, but with the release of Sprite Sprint, which uh, the materials for that are a level two monster plus any monster... Um, it can send Nimble Angler from your duck to, to the graveyard, which will then summon two more Nimble Beavers, and then you have three, you know, twos. It, a Link 2 and then two level twos. You, you can use the Link 2 to overlay for Gigantic Sprite. So 
it gets your whole engine going off of just one level two and any other monster. So with the addition of uh, Kashira Fenrir and the Bishtals, the Bishtals mainly, you know, were only bodies for this going second, but Magnum creating two bodies as well. Um, I felt they just actually gave the deck like the incredible consistency that I felt like it lacked previously. And I think that's really what um, a deck like Sprite needs. And I think like, you know, a bunch of people love comparing whenever a new uh, deck comes out, that's like, you know, really like, I'm going to say whenever a new, like a mid rangey deck comes out, everyone just compares it to like zoo or like just really bad comparisons to decks that do a lot off of a singular card or, you know, that do a lot off of like a specific card and then like any other monster, you know, like, you yeah. know, like Orcus was just, you know, like any monster plus an Orcus, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like, all of Salamangrave. Yeah, 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 exactly. And yeah. I really felt like Sprite didn't feel like that before, but now I think it kind of does. Or it it it, it at least feels like Orcus to me, kind of, in that mm. you just have random extenders and then an Orcus monster, or in this case, a level two monster, right? To make your Galatea, or in this case, Sprint. I think like the buzzword I was using to convince people that like this deck was playable whenever they would like ask like, Oh, like what do you see in Sprite? I would, I would literally clear my throat and say, okay, I'm about to yell some, some buzzwords. <laughs> Sprite Sprint is the new Halky Fibrax. That is what I would say. And then just yeah. instead of a tuner, it's just a level two monster. Right. And I think that's where like a lot of decks recently have been incredibly powerful because they could make Anaconda, which is just any two monsters ever. Right. Or Firebrax, which is any monster in the whole game plus any tuner in the whole game, and it just did a bunch of stuff. And now Sprite can be any monster in the game plus any level two, any level or link to. So you can also, even with not level two, something I uh, something that came up or that yeah. comes up in the mirror, like dark for your opponent's sprite monsters obviously lets you play also, but just making dark and taking anything, and then dark is a link to, so that can make sprite sprint. So even in some matchups where like there were some games where like I lost the role and looked at my hand and had I gone first, I would have passed playing zero cards. But because I went second, I like bishled them and then had two bishels and then made dark, took their irrelevant dark monster and made sprint and just killed them. And it's like that type of thing was not possible previously. I don't think. Yeah. And something to point out is that that is exactly the same. Also, not only for the sprite deck but also for tier limit where yes. now it's like oh you have a darkened guy make dark take their guy make sprint send merly and now you have sprite or uh tier limit combo yeah i so think sprint is a ridiculous card like absolutely ridiculous and i think that is one that that like i was looking at um crisis of darkwing blast right <clears throat> before the ycs and they were all the secret rares were kind of trending downward like rocalos cartesia sprint were all around the same price they were all kind of trending down. And after the YCS, um, we've seen Rukalos was like it's like eight dollars now, just something ridiculous. Yeah, which like, granted they're all they're all in like the very low end range. And yeah. then you look at Cartesia, and it's just a card that in the grand scheme of things is probably unplayable. But like Sprint the the YCS winning list just played two copies of Sprint. Yeah. Right? And yeah. like your deck shouldn't be playing Cartesia's just like twenty US dollars. Yeah. Rucalos like eight. And then Sprint's just at like eleven. Like no, no, no. Sprint 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 has actually been trending up, but 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 still not oh, as much like, as it should be. It's like be. almost fourteen, yeah. fourteen ish right now. That's yeah, that's right. still too low. That's yeah. like elf territory, I, right? Like I what think, people didn't truly understand. 
Yeah, like I think Sprint will probably. I think that's one that I think sh- should trend upwards to be. I think like mm-hmm. you, you know some decks play three elf. I don't think any deck will play three Sprint, right? But I think yeah, like fun. I think a lot of decks will. Almost every deck ever will play a Sprint. <laughs> honestly, like just mm. when you when you look into a, a, especially so with the meta game now, right? If you look at Top Cut, um, I believe there was like five non Sprite or Tier Element decks. Right, it was like two Flunder, a Thunder, which I'm pretty sure also played tier cards. Maybe right, it was like Bistral Thunder Dragon uh, with tier did, cards. Didn't play tier. Okay, so just played Bistral yeah. Thunder. Okay, sure. So there was one Exorcister, right. two yeah, so Flunder. There was, there was a De- Despia Exorcister, like Bistial, which I think just encompasses the Thunder deck yeah. that you brought up, and then Clifton's yeah. Dragonlink deck. Mm-hmm. And then more Flunderies, and then the rest of the breakdown yeah. is literally just I think it was tier element. I think it was literally twenty five tier element or sprite. Deck. So, like I think there were yeah. twenty five copies or more of sprite sprint in in top cut, right? And yeah, yeah. you know, and there were not that many of the other secret rares, you know, like definitely not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think like that's one that I think like will be trending upward like i so i lost to chris in top eight and we were talking and and literally after our match was over we were just talking like i don't know how it happened we were just talking about how good sprint was <laughs> because it was like game one against me he made two of them and i was just like all right his deck just like has the option right? mm-hmm. on his turn one yeah. he's able to dump the angler summon the beavers and play that way Right, and then on his turn too, like the second sprint just dumps him early. Yeah, right. Like yeah. that's that's kind of ignorant. Yeah, I on his. That. Yeah, exactly. It 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 well, sprinted the actually, anglers, it, and then he made IP to make sprint on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, IP makes sprint dump mm-hmm. early, have the field spell up, like yeah, two dudes. You, exactly. you know what I mean? Like a bunch of silly stuff like that is very. Yeah, that definitely made a lot of sense. Um, and then yeah, I mean that's all I really have to say about sprint, but I I just think like um. Oh, the other card that I really underestimated was Fenrir. Um, I was really tunneled on how poorly positioned Fenrir was into Bishals in the tier element deck. But if you're not playing a tier element deck, I think Fenrir is an incredibly, incredibly strong card. Um, especially when it is another card that helps facilitate the game plan that I was just talking about of just any monster plus level two monster. It was like, there were probably five games where I only drew one level two, but I got bailed out by just having a Fenrir, and then Fenrir searches another copy of itself. You normal summon your level two monster. It was usually like Pixies or some, you know, like like irrelevant sprite one, um, and then just make a sprint, and then you can just play from there. And then uh, the extra bodies that you get from the sprint, specifically because you can use sprint as a material for Gigantic, um... You get the extra level two required to make Toad, even though Ronin is banned, right? So you just gigantic out the Swap Frog, send another Swap Frog, um, and now your board is gigantic Swap Frog and the one extra Beaver, and then you use the Beaver and the gigantic for Elf and bring back the Swap Frog, and then you have Toad. And then, assuming you started with your actual Sprite cards, right? Not like in the instance that you just only have Sprint, you have the option of Toad with Elf, or you can just go for more Sprite stuff. But if you started with like a reasonable hand and you just started with blue or jet or you know starter or, or, or anything like that then it means that you usually have uh elf toad and sprite double cross and sometimes even like a red or a carrot and sprite double cross was a card that um we had already talked about uh where you can like or jeff was saying he liked it because you could take their fenrir and then it protected uh your toad 
or you can take a bestial if they just you know go straight to battle phase and try to summon a bestial uh to attack over toad and then if your opponent Reaching doesn't toad three times yeah yeah and if your opponent doesn't yeah. have those options if your opponent has to just play through your cards without fenrir or without bestials and they just have to play an honest game uh, then you can just use your double cross not to take their card, you just reborn your own Toad. You can Toad them three times. So that mm. was another just absolutely ridiculous scenario. And then Toad gets back three waters. So then Toad actually adds back. So then Toad adds back Beaver, Angler, and Swap Frog. So then your follow-up is you can Swap Frog discard Angler to get the last Beaver out of your deck, and then Normal Summon the Beaver to reborn a Beaver from your graveyard. So then you have four level twos, for your follow-up after you triple swap frog or after you triple totally awesome them so that was just like absolutely like i don't think any deck can beat that with their engine right like i that just doesn't seem real if you just and, and no one was playing hand traps really like like none of the trello decks were playing like actual hand traps i think i played one so actually let me i have it written down my the decks i played against in the rounds just to give some context so Okay, round one, uh, I played against Blue Eyes. Uh, it was just like his his like first YCS. He said so. Um, you know that was he was a very casual player. Uh, round two was a pure uh, Kostula deck, and game one I just went first and had Toad to double cross, and there's nothing that he could do. But game two, his his deck was actually pretty interesting. Um, he was playing a bunch of level uh, level seven extenders, and then he was playing. Nadir Servant just for extra value um, and Maximus and whatever. So he was just trying to make, you know, so he was playing, he, he was playing Instant Contact, um, which just summons like a, you know, a Flare Neos mm -hmm. or whatever just to get a level seven. And then you can make either the uh, Kashira Exceeds Monster or you can make Diablosis Mind Hacker and, you know, like rip a card for, from your opponent's extra deck and banish more of their cards. And that like kind of has synergy with the Kashira uh, cards anyway. But um, mm -hmm. I did win that one. And then I played adventure sprite round three um marincess round four and then starting here it was just tier element tier element bishel tier element tier element sprite tier element so rounds five to nine were just variants of tier element um which mm. i guess is like was kind of expected right like as you as you get deeper mm -hmm. into the to the to the tournament you're probably going to start playing mostly against tier element and and, and sprite decks. yeah like do you, do you guys have this one where, like, say you're, like, in the X1 bracket, you're sort of, like, top tables-ish, and you look around, and you're confident playing against, like, the top two, but then you, like, look to your left, and there's, like, that one dude playing the weird deck you just never read the card for, <laughs> and you just think to yourself, I am going to play him, this is going to be unfortunate, you know what I mean? It's, like, always in the back of my head, I, like, I look and it's, like, Oh no! It's like that one dude playing Earth. You know, you know it's like oh, yeah. King seven one, and you're just like I'm gonna have to read like half the cards. Yeah. Like, well, like obviously not now, but just it just in general. Like I I hate those ones so much. <laughs> I'm so relieved when I have to play against like the twenty tier. You know what I mean? Like I'll take like five mirror matches instead of the one dude that clearly is like overperforming with a rogue deck that I'm just gonna sit down have to read every card and then just like probably throw a game or two or just play like really really poorly yeah that, that's just me um towards the end the the only one so my round four opponent that was playing marincess actually just goes to my locals and mm -hmm. another one of our friends from our locals was also playing 
Marincess, and I sat next to him round six. So yes, it was literally like, well, I beat one of them. I don't think I will beat the other one. <laughs> you know, like if I if I play against him, like I don't think I'll win. And then it was even more like disheartening. Is um round six was my only loss in Swiss, and my opponent just goes. Uh, he, he wins the roll, goes high spirits, discarded tier element. And I'm like, oh, and I, and I have no hand traps. My hand is like not even like good. And I'm just like, well, I probably lose, but like I'll let this play out. And before my opponent is done with his turn one. So my opponent's turn one is still going. I looked into the left and my friend that was playing Marincess from my locals has already won his match. <laughs> he li- His opponent goes like summon Rhino Heart. And he's like, Ash. And the guy's like, go and he just kills him <laughs> and then game two the guy just sets a dynamiscus and passes and he just kills him again and i'm like oh my god so and it, and then and, and their match was just over in like eight minutes and i'm just like i haven't even had a turn yet and he just won the match with marincess like what is happening but um and then rounds 10 and 11 i played runic sprite and um branded uh bishtal tier element and then uh, top 32, I played the one Exorcister. And then top 16, I played the one Dragon Link. And then top 8, I lost to uh, Tier Sprite. So I actually had, like, relatively speaking, a pretty varied tournament in that I played against both of the one-off decks in Top Cut, right? Well, I guess I didn't play against the Thunder deck. But I played against two of the one-off decks um, in, in Top Cut. And then other than, like, you know, half of my day one was just Tier and then all the rest of it was just different decks every round. So um, it's been a while, I think, since, since I've played against so many decks. I think, like, I think like uh, at the championship this year, I actually played against, like, seven different decks in Swiss or whatever. But that was also a little different because I think that mm. format was a bit more wide, right? Like, we didn't have, like... Yeah. Like, uh, we didn't have tier or sprite yet. So all the decks were, like, pretty strong, but, like, nothing was really, like, head and shoulders above the rest. But anyway, so that was kind of my... Minneapolis experience um I enjoyed this deck a lot and I actually enjoyed the format quite more than I thought I would like none of the games I won or lost seemed completely hopeless for either side if that makes sense like like it I actually felt like well, that doesn't make any sense because just earlier you were saying like, "Oh, I just opened up with Toad all this." Oh, I did no, I did that. I did that literally one time. Like that, that, oh, that okay. happened literally once. <laughs> like it just because <laughs> because every time I had that setup, my opponent had a Bishtal or a Fenrir, right? And then you can't do that, you know. So like literally once, I did Toad with double cross, and my opponent just had absolutely nothing to contest <laughs> the, the Toad. But mm. usually, like. There are so many, so like, what I mean by like is, um, the battle phase was so important and it sounds weird to say that because obviously the battle phase is important, but like, because cards like elf and IP can only be used in the main phase, right? And, um, so many cards right now, like mainly just the Bishels, but there are a lot of Bishels, right? And there are some other cards too, um, can be summoned as quick effects in the battle phase. So there was a lot of, like for me and my opponent, a lot of the time, somebody would have an elf or somebody would have an IP, um, you know, and maybe somebody has a a Bishol, like that was just left over from the previous turn. Maybe someone has a Fenrir. And there was just a lot of battle phase being like the second action of the turn. It would be like summon something, 
enter battle phase. And then now your opponent's put on the spot, like, okay, do I use elf now to get something? Do I save it? Like, do I think, I, I guess, like, do I think I have more battle phase tricks than my opponent, right? So my opponent has like a Bishra on the field and they go enter battle. I'm looking at an elf, I'm looking at a toad. And then I have maybe like a double cross, something like that. Or I have like a Bishra in my hand or something. And I'm, and I'm now put in a position, do I use my elf now? Do I, you know, um, do I let them go to battle? Uh, and then do I hope I can just stop them from attacking over my toad? Can they attack over both toad and elf? Do I just use elf now uh, to get back blue and search pixies? That was a big one, actually. That was a really yes. big... Yeah, that, that is a big Yeah, one. that was a huge, huge defining moment, I think, like, in that interaction, is every time my opponent just tried to enter battle phase early and I had the option with a blue in my graveyard to search pixies, I did. And... So I would trade a toad in theory, right? Like I would trade elf bringing back a toad mm. to like guarantee my toad actually lived. And that was something that like, I don't think we've had that previously, right? Because before Bishels and before Fenrir's, what were you doing to, to contest them in the battle phase? And Runic Sprite doesn't have a battle phase, right? So that's another big disadvantage that Runic Sprite has going into the Darkwing Blast format that I think like, I felt pretty confident playing against Runic Sprite because I knew they couldn't do that, right? So once I got past the first action of main phase, oh, also when I played against Runic Sprite, instead of just consolidating my board down to like Elf Toad, I I, I was expecting Lava Golem in Sphere Mode because that was what, uh, you know, Josh won Utrecht with the previous week. So when I played against Runic Sprite, I tried to go as wide as possible, right? So my plan was like, okay, I'll have like, you know, I drew like Fenrir and then maybe I'll try to end with like red, carrot, elf, you know, like another guy, you know, just go as wide as possible. I don't want to be making exceeds. I don't want to be going into toad. I want to have as many things on field as possible because they don't have a battle phase so they can't remove them. So if I make it as hard as for them to remove my cards as possible, then I'll have a better chance when it's my turn again. So I don't know. It, it, it just created a lot of interesting, like the Bishels and Fenrir created a lot of interesting dynamics that really gave a lot of counterplay to my setups at least um you know with with uh you know like toad and just kind of uh you know like elf and toad and trying to protect my my guys in in, in the battle phase and then likewise the bishops <clears throat> and fenrir gave my deck a lot more counterplay to the two element decks because there were some times when i wouldn't even bishop them if i drew fenrir and a bishop i wouldn't even always bishop on their turn i would actually just if it was like magnumet i probably would but if it was drew's worm and a fenrir i'd usually just hold it and then I would lead with Fenrir on my turn. And then when they tried Whenever to they fuse, make a play. Yeah. Yep. Because the Trellement deck, the board they make isn't that crazy. What's really crazy is when they fuse on your turn and trigger all their guys, right? So when I would hold, so I would get my Fenrir set up and then I would hold a Bistral to contest one of their fusion that they try to make on my turn. And that would apply a lot of pressure where I could try to attack over their stuff I could at least go battle phase, force their time thief, right? So I would force them to time thief earlier than, than they would want to, stuff like that. Just the option of having monsters that actually contest your opponent's setup by battle was a very unique thing that we haven't had in a long time, I will say. Like, what is the last format that you remember that being like such a such a, a crucial point of interaction of just like actually attacking your opponent's monsters before you started playing? Uh, I feel like there is an answer to this, but I don't know what it is. 
I agree. I, I, I feel like there is a format. Maybe even I, like Zoo, just because all the guys had such little attack that like just entering battle phase and forcing their Dryden, you know, was like that's maybe... That's probably like, what... I'm trying to think of like, all right, like summon a guy, battle phase, all right, they have to join in, and then you start playing with like Barrage or whatever. Mm -hmm. Th yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. But I just I just felt this was like... It was so... Like, th there were there were far fewer games where like... I felt like my opponent just couldn't do anything or I felt like I couldn't do anything. And to that, I, <laughs> I want to transition into Pasadena and Mavens. And I'm kind of sad this format is only two weeks because I would have liked another event with this format, I think. And Mavens is about to probably turn everything on, you know, on its head. And I haven't had a chance. My flight got delayed on the way back from Minneapolis and I had to stay an extra night in Chicago when I when it missed my connecting flight so I have literally just gotten home and uh, I have not had any time since getting back to actually practice for Pasadena but I know that uh, you two both have and I wanted your thoughts on that of just like I've just been saying how much I enjoyed playing this previous format and how like different I felt it was and how much counterplay there was uh <laughs> What do you think? What do you think about the Ishizu cards coming out in Mavens? I mean, so obviously I did not go to Minneapolis, mm -hmm. and then after the weekend, I was like, okay, I think I want to actually just try to go to Pasadena. And mm -hmm. I told Max, I think I'll book my flight now. And then I played with Jesse for a couple hours and decided I'm absolutely not going to Pasadena. <laughs> this was this was this was miserable. I'll just I'll just practice for the three v three in, in format because there'll be a new set and. New Forbidden Hopefully by then. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, the Shizu cards are intolerable. It's they not only are they like super strong, but they're I don't think they're fun to use. I don't think they're fun. They're definitely not fun to play against, and it's just it's just awful. I it's it's just not good. It's I'm not having a good time, bro. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean that's fair, right? Because because uh, that's I, also. I'm oh, sorry. So go ahead. No, you're, I, like, I, I think, so I, I agree with you, but part of me just, I look at the cards and I think, okay, if everything's at this power level and both players are, like, able to interact with it, surely there's a point where the mirror match actually has some, like, intricacies and maybe there's, like, certain things you can do, certain things you shouldn't do. I just don't think there's enough time uh, between now and Pasadena you know, because obviously everyone that was going to Pasadena in some form went to Minneapolis and had to test for the Minneapolis format, which was its own pocket of a format. It's like, well, you know, maybe we neglected the Ishizu stuff and we should have tested mirror matches for an extended period of time. There's very little, you know, to sort of go off. And, and that's where you might see like some minor edges that make sense. Because I, I don't think it's, it's just going to be related to like, Oh, I, you know, I, I got luckier than my opponent every single time. I, I think it's more so that it is just like not fun Yu-Gi-Oh! Because it's less interactive, more just like mill my cards. Did you mill cards? Yes. And now we sit here for five minutes trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, you're so shuffling like the other cards back. And, what makes yeah. it awkward. But I, I think if you sit there and like, you're, you know, you have the ability to micromanage it and do that for two whole days you'll win you'll win a tournament like 99 like i think that like you can find edges in that matchup i just don't think it's particularly fun and it's just not going to be like a good tournament experience 
you know, maybe yeah, Japan so... likes it more because they're playing like six rounds or something. Obviously, that's hyper. <laughs> like they're playing, they're playing more rounds, but like still, you know, it sort of just edges itself out as it goes. I mean, so Minneapolis was over, was just under eleven hundred people, right? Which um, mm-hmm. North American YCSs, uh, I think after the first two that were announced ended up getting canceled anyway, right? And then. Because we were supposed to come back to, what was it, Vegas and Pasadena in the beginning of the year, right? And then those got canceled, and then Charlotte yeah. ended up being the first in-person event. I think because the first two events got got canceled, attendance really suffered for Charlotte and Hartford, right? But then now we've had two events that were, you know, pretty successful, and we had the championship, which had a, you know, reasonable bull attendance. Uh, not as big as, you know, some of the older ones like Necroz and, uh, you know, Monarch and BA, uh, but definitely, you know, bigger than Hartford and Charlotte were. And then, um, you know, Niagara hit the cap and it was a very small cap relative to, to what they, mm. you know, and how, what was it like a hundred or over a hundred people got like turned away because of the cap. I, I was six, so I couldn't go. So I don't know really, but do you, do you know how many people are registered for Pasadena currently? I, I, well, I actually, I actually checked this. Okay. Cause I was 15. Huh? It's 1915 people okay. currently. I was about to say, yeah. I was about to say, I, th- okay, well. I'll, I'll continue my thought and then I'll say what I was going to say. But then now that I know the answer, that's even better is I was going to say, um, well, you know, we, we just saw Min, Min, Minneapolis hit the largest North American YCS since, uh, you know, the pandemic ended, right. Or since, since they opened again, mm. the pandemic, I don't know, whatever, you know, since, since, since we've reopened, this has been the largest event back. And, obviously Pasadena will get more people than Minneapolis. Like that's not even a question, right? Like right. it just will. And I was going to say, I was about to say, I think we'll hit 1500 in Pasadena, but you just said we have 19 already pre-regged. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, that will be tough. That, oh, that sounds awful. I'm just thinking about how mm-hmm. Minneapolis, because it barely hit 11 rounds, because 11 rounds is what, 10, 1048 people, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, or, 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 yeah, or, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, once you hit 1048, it, it, it's 11 rounds. So because of that, and because of some draws, every single X2 topped Minneapolis because it just barely ticked over to, to the 11 rounds. If we get 19 for Pasadena and it either caps or it doesn't tick over to 2000. Oh, over. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, I was going to say, and if it doesn't tick over to 2000, where we would get 12 rounds of Swiss, there will be a ton of X2s that will that will not make it. And you'll still be playing oh, yeah. a super, super grueling 11-round tournament, right? And that just sounds miserable when you're also playing these cards that, again, I haven't had a, you know much of a hands-on experience with them. But from what I understand, most interactions are very intricate just because there are so many things happening. And the Ishizu cards... They also like our transmigration prophecies, right? Like you just shuffle cards back. So you're both milling cards. Mm. You're both shuffling cards back. Like you're just keeping track of everything. And to do that for two days, 11 rounds, go X2 and then get like 39th just sounds awful. <laughs> like that yeah, sounds like I, a terrible I, experience. I, but I would be sick. <laughs> yeah. So, so but... something going back to a quote I mentioned earlier about uh-huh. saying like there are definitely going to be like intricacies that will give you the edge in the mirror and people have to figure those out there are 100 percent are there are yeah. definitely things that you can do 
and plays you can make to take advantage of and put yourself in a position. Which is true for every deck ever. In the mirror, which is true for yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But now, mm -hmm. now it's going to be more important than ever. The one thing that is awful about that is that one of those things that you can do, you can do very easily and very well, and that thing is making a Mist Dweller. Yes. And <laughs> which which you can now even more than ever will dictate the mirror and makes things very much not as fun. I think in the hours that Jesse and I played, except for one time where a game was won with, with Mystic Mind going second, whoever went first won. Yeah. <sighs> and like, something else that Bowden said that kind of reminds me is um, there is also something to consider. I think that sometimes gets neglected. I mean, like, I think, so, so the, 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 there's a lot that goes into making a game that's a very broad sentence and i will that sounded you know i'll i'll, I'll zero on it you know You'll whether you're whether you're you're making it competitive or you're making it you know like zany and fun there's a lot that goes into every aspect of the design and we are trying to play this game competitively right so um as much as we you know like and i think we all acknowledge if we wanted a game that was strictly skill you know with like as little variance as possible we would just play chess you know so we 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 do enjoy the fact that there are random aspects, you know, and that's what makes card games exciting is there is a bit of variance, right? So so you can get lucky and you can pull it out or you can get unlucky and lose, you know, and then you just come back and you got to try again next time. And it feels bad when the variance shifts too far out of your control, but it also kind of feels bad to a lot of people when it's so, so, so streamlined there isn't any or there's no way to like express yourself in in the game mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people express themselves in the game by deck building right and when we Absolutely. get to a format like this um where allegedly again i haven't you know we haven't had the event yet and i haven't really you know like taken a time to myself personally look at these cards as much as i should have if we're getting you know into a near tier zero format you know like i loved spiral it just something about it clicked and I really liked it. And I, and I loved playing, you know, like, uh, you know, 12 spiral mirrors in, in a tournament, but I understand that's not for everybody. And I, and I understand that the game cannot be like that every single time. And we need things to, 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 to change. And the other thing that makes card games fun usually is how they change, which is also why I personally don't really like going back to like goat or Edison or anything like that, that much, because I would rather just, play new cards right and you know and things i've never seen before and i do understand there is innovation and you know goat is a 17 year old format and people are still innovating it and and that's also impressive um but it's just not how i enjoy it and if the ishizu cards even if they are incredibly strong and as you guys are saying there could be you know maybe in you know a week we we, we find some some edge or some knowledge check or just it is an incredibly incredibly skillful format if it's not fun, and as Jeff was saying, it wasn't fun to play with, it wasn't fun to play against, like, where, where, what are we left with? Like, why are we doing this? Mm. Why aren't we just playing chess, <laughs> I guess, you know? If, if, if just no one's having fun, what is the point at the end of the day? I think, like, a big reason why it's not fun is because these cards are have effects that we have seen before kind of just on a grander scale it's not like they're doing anything unique milling yourself or your opponent that is not like a new mechanic that's something that's happening right now like in, in current Yu-Gi-Oh! and has as the entire 
time Yu-Gi-Oh has basically existed. There have been yeah. mill strategies, and this just happens on a a greater scale. And so it's it's not like new. It's not innovative. It's just the the next kind of strategy that takes advantage of sending cards to the deck to the graveyard and then disrupting your opponent's graveyard. So just on a bigger, larger scale than we've been used to, and. Uh, because of that, yeah, that's what makes it. It's not fun. It's not new. It's it's not cool. Yeah. It's not unique. It's just same stuff with power corrupt. <laughs> yeah, and and I think like one thing I want to touch on about that is um obviously you know we've the game's been out for you know twenty years in you know North America and longer in 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 Japan that there of course will be some types of strategies that will be retreaded. But what I think personally, it's important if you're going to retread strategies, retread strategies that weren't successful, right? Like mm -hmm. we don't need, you know, like it, it, it's funny uh, when I talk to some of my old roommates who haven't played competitively, you know, in like 10 years and, you know, they see I'm playing against Calvin or something and I was playing like a tier element deck and they're like, oh, like what is this? And I, and I literally said, it's new Light Sworn, right? Um, and that's not interesting, right? <laughs> if I if 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 I can distill tier element to just saying it's just new light sworn, it's it's light sworn if all of them were wolf and also milled, right? Like mm -hmm. that's not interesting, I guess. You know, that that is very uh, you know, derivative of things we've seen. And I would very much like to retread uh you know effects that we haven't quite seen before so with the i don't even want to say announcement because i the leak i guess of the 3v3 it, it it's konami hasn't put it on their page yet as far as i know but it is on like the las vegas convention center page has listed a team ycs uh in february which should be mm -hmm. after the release of photon hypernova um assuming um, keeping in mind as well like there have been instances where that has the, been the event has been listed. Yeah. Like the event will be listed on the convention center page, but like, obviously until Konami posts it, you take it with a grain of, of salt. Course. However, there has also been instances where this is just information that is there, right? Like the contract has been signed. That's why the convention center is putting it on there. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? I'm not, we're yeah. not telling you to go out and book your flights. Like it's not a, you know, it's it, the information's there. Do yeah. with it what you will. Yeah. You know, it's, um, but a lot of my friends that aren't going to Pasadena, uh, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they couldn't go or they just like Jeff were just like, I really just don't want to deal with the Ashizu stuff. Um, they've been looking already, you know, they've kind of just shifted their sites to Vegas, right. Or to Fourth and Hypernova. And upon looking at the, uh, uh, the Kashira cards in Fourth and Hypernova, I am pretty excited for those because I just think those are kind of exploring mechanics we haven't seen as much mm. of. I think banishing things face down is something that has been really, really underexplored in in Yu-Gi-Oh, honestly. Like, maybe for good reason, because being banished face down is just, like, the hardest removal imaginable that, you know, like, if a card is banished face down, there's, like, two cards ever that can get it back. It's, like, Omega and, like, you know, the... Like, Necroface? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I can probably... You, like, I can only think of two at the top of my head, and I'm sure there are probably less than five that exist, right? Like, you know, maybe the new Kashiras also interact with, with Banish Face Down, but, you know, I think that's an interesting mechanic, and I do, I did like 
uh, Fenrir when I was playing with it this weekend. Like, it was a fun, I thought it was like a fun card. And it was another card that added a different dynamic. You know, it rewarded you for going to the battle phase, which, as I said, it sounds crazy to say, like, in 2022, having to go to battle phase is innovative. But, like, we, mm. the battle phase has been just such an afterthought and so irrelevant for such a long amount of time. Also, I think the battle phase is the least interesting in Yu-Gi-Oh than any other card game because the person attacking just dictates where all of the attacks go. And there's like in a bunch of other card games, when you're attacking, your opponent yeah, like chooses. Or whatever. Yeah. So the battle phase is, I think, like the least complex in Yu-Gi-Oh and like the least interactive in Yu-Gi-Oh than any of the other card games. And I think it was really interesting to have cards like Fenrir's and Bistrals that kind of open that space back up, especially when, like, Fenrir attacks, it has to target something. Okay, but Elf is still on the field, so you can't target the card you want to target. So you have to put another monster to attack, to attack over the Elf first, and, like, maybe Fenrir will trigger, you know, like... And it was just giving, like, new ways uh, to really interact, and I think having... You know, and I know that Fenrir isn't really the center point of the Kostira deck after uh, the new support, but I just think having all of them have battle triggers and stuff like that is just more interesting than stuff we've seen recently is they 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 made incredibly powerful cards but they tied a lot of their triggers to the battle phase which means you're not otking them and it means the game goes longer and there's more chance for player interaction and i think that's a much better design choice than many other alternatives right where like both players are actually playing the game for more turns than just i went first i made a board you can't do anything i'm attacking for game or i went first you broke my board, you're attacking for game afterwards, right? Like, I just think those are very, like, linear play patterns that aren't that, mm -hmm. that interesting. And, I, and I'm looking forward to cards maybe opening that space back up again. Um, but, yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think it is possible that just, yeah, milling is not a new strategy, and it's one of the most overdone, honestly. So, And every we'll time see. it's been done, it's almost it's frustrating. always led to a tier one deck also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we have, like, Lightsworn, Burning Abyss. I'm sure there's, like, other strategies that have milled and ended up being one of yeah. the best decks in a format, so. Yeah. Oh, like, Grass is Greener. I need to that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my... I forgot... I forgot that card existed. Wow, that's crazy. I... Oh, my God. I I actually don't think any card in Yu-Gi-Oh! has ever made me more sad than my opponent activating that Grass looks greener. Like, I actually just nothing that i can possibly think it was made me more sad than that especially because when it was printed cards like ash wasn't even out yet when that card got printed so there was virtually no counterplay whatsoever they activate grass they peel the, the, the top 20 and you just watch it happen <laughs> yeah right. very right. defeating mm -hmm. so i don't know that's i don't really have any other opinions on the on the you know she's just stuff necessarily um i guess let's the last thing I kind of want to talk about, we've been going for a little under 45 minutes, so I figure we can just finish up on this topic. Um, Mavens in general, right? So I do want to briefly go over what like the product description has said about um, Mavens. So we've seen all of the ultra rares in what I will refer to as like the core set. So like the core set of just like ultra rares, I believe has like 112 cards, something like that, You know, uh, maybe like 100 something cards. And then six of the cards that are that are available as ultra rare will also be available as Pharaoh's rare, which we have seen only once before in King's Court as uh, Obelisk, Raw, and Slifer. And then in addition to the six 
reprints that will be available, presumably reprints that will be available as Pharaoh's Rare, there will also be 12 cards only available as Pharaoh's Rare. So we've seen a couple of them. We've seen the True Name. We've seen Gold Sarcophagus. And just today we saw Crystal Bond, which I am obviously super excited for Crystal Bond. That was super out of left field. And I I'm, cannot believe it. I don't understand it. Yeah, you know? he became big. <laughs> yeah, like because when I saw the the, the when I saw the uh, the, the true name, mm. I like I groaned, I rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh my god, they're just gonna do the Egyptian themed cards as Pharaoh's rare, and like all those cards are terrible. Like the true name is literally awful, and it's like it has like a it has like an eighty cent printing from like you know the the raw duelist pack set. Like, oh, and then Gold Sark was the next one, and I went okay that's pretty cool that is pre- i was pretty i was like oh, okay and i was like realistically am i ever gonna buy a shonen jump gold sark or a ferris tour gold sark no so what gold sark do i have right now or what gold sarks are available i currently own a duelist league like pink gold sark that i think is kind of neat that's the one that i used in thunder dragon and i haven't really played that card since it got limited but i saw the pharaohs rare one and i was like oh that's cool like that's the type of card, you know, like Gold Sark is the type of iconic card that I think is cool to have a high rarity printing like that, that is more, much more accessible than a prize card from 2007, right? And mm-hmm. I was very happy about that. And then I was like, okay, maybe they will just do, you know, like the, you know, like Egyptian themed, you know, like legacy, like classic dual, you know, you know, uh, DM era cards. And then I'm like, maybe we'll get, or maybe they'll dip into um some of the cards so japan has a slightly different variation on this theirs is called millennium rare and theirs are like parallel rare commons like it's like it's not a foil card then there's like the hieroglyphic pattern like a parallel rare type thing almost like an old hobby league um over top of it and i do like how those look and i was like okay japan has like black luster soldier envoy of the beginning they have scapegoat and they have a bunch of other like classic cards like that. They have like a blue eyes ultimate dragon in that in that printing. They have a raw sphere mode in that printing. And I was like, okay, maybe we'll get some of those cards. Like we had the god cards from King's Court, so maybe we'll get the other forms of raw, you know, whatever, whatever. And then Crystal Bond just out of left field. And I'm like, that doesn't really have any connection, <laughs> you know, to to that theme. So now I'm just kind of sitting here like, okay, so literally anything, <laughs> you know, um, can be Pharaoh's rare and Crystal Bond makes sense to get a premium printing in the context of the crystal b structure that just came out and crystals revenge is coming out so crystal bees are getting a lot of support so it makes sense to give that card a high rarity i just don't quite understand why it got this it has 11 copies of ultra rare already yes it also has 11 (laughs) copies of ultra rare and this looks very similar to an ultra rare but um as a whole now I think Crystal Bond, like it definitely opens up what you know we could see as these as these Pharaohs rares. And now I'm definitely, you know, my eyes are a bit open. I'm a bit more excited for what we could possibly see in this set because I think that was the big differentiator for me personally. Like for people that play competitively and have all of these cards already, you know, like I don't need a reprinted Lightning Storm because I got Lightning Storms when they came out, you know, and I've just had them since then, right? So like. So, like, a reprint of Lightning Storm doesn't really help me. So, the only cards I'm interested in personally in these, you know, and I understand a reprint of these cards help help other people, but just for me, you know, personally, 
um, I was looking at the newer cards, and it's like, okay, I'll get the Ishizu cards if I'm going to play Pasadena, and then then what? Like, I don't really want the new Striker cards. I don't really want the new, um, you know, uh, what are they called? Uh, Witchcrafters. I don't really want the new Mayakashi. Like, hey, the same Mayakashi cards are actually kind of broken, though. Oh, well, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I read the Shirinui one, <laughs> and I was like, and had a funny name. It was like, it was like Ghost Meets Girl, a Mayakashi and Shiranui story or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, Ghost Meets Girl, a masterful Mayakashi Shiranui saga. Yes, and I was like, that's a funny name. And there's, and no there's... one reminds me of. It reminds me of like all those like animes that come out now. That's like yes. I was a chef in another world, and now I'm a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so ridiculous. Yes, yes. The next, the, the next hit anime. The Shirinui Mayakashi saga, the ghost meets girl, or what? Yes, literally. Oh my god! Because they've had those previously. I didn't realize how how much the lore of Shirinui and Mayakashi was like tied together, and I don't really yeah. understand it. But I know there was a card previously called like a ghost meets girl, like a Shirinui saga yeah. or something, and it and it's like the Shirinui like like branded like, opening this, type card. Season two. Oh, there's it. Wait, what? There's what? I said, this, this, this is a sequel. This is a season two. Of oh, this that is now. season two. Yes, of course. Um, but yeah, so I was just like, after seeing the 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 Pharaohs rare now, I'm quite a bit more excited. You know, I'm not gonna be going out to you know like crack tons of cases to hope I pull Pharaohs rares, but it's definitely like I'll be keeping an eye on this set more so now. Uh, you know, after it, so after I, it's released. I think, I think the introduction of the Pharaohs rare, like. We, we knew they existed mm-hmm. we just weren't sure in, in like what capacity it adds another sort of bit of depth to a set like this that's already going to be opened in excess so what what you want to look at is uh like sets like girls from the past right yep. where every ultra rare tends to just bottom out because so much is open and with this set especially i feel like you'll see so much being open solely for the ishizu cards wherein everything else is just gonna you know shit the bed in terms of value but now you have like same sort of deal with like the deck building sets like the collector as and stuff like that and it helps like make it worth opening a set like this obviously like after a while your expected value from opening an individual box of of magnificent mavens is going to go down but you do have the option to high roll maybe you know one of the nice uh, millennium rares or whatever and then that that, that's really cool i like when sets sort of have that to it because even though you have to high roll, having the option to high roll, I think it's a lot better than just like having a worthless product. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Ten, 10 years from now, it's like, oh, all of these Ishizu cards are banned, <laughs> you know, but like, here's the here's set a gold that is the only set that has yeah. this one. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, it has and this card in this printer. I think also it's, it's interesting to note like, they've been trying a bunch of different products. This will probably be the last thing how we talk about. This is. Uh, not going to be about anything that matters to really anyone, but <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> yeah, but um, as we'll talk about, like, they've been trying a bunch of different product configurations recently, right? Like we saw they brought back gold rares, um, you know, which to, you know, various degrees of quality, you know, of with the, with the new cards, yeah. like I'm looking, I actually have one on my desk right now that has no foil on it. It's just, you know, whatever. You know, like right, fine. I want to go off on this high tangent. First yeah, of all, sure. Do you, do you know anyone who actively likes gold rares? Like at like, 
uh, like Numerous. the new ones or like no, what do you mean? like like any of them. They're like, oh so yeah, I love I liked I liked gold series one. Like I like the old gold rares. Like I do like the old ones. I like the ones that one from, has a it has a certain aesthetic. Yeah, from I, yeah. I, I agree from the you. classic gold series. You know, like I love gold mirror force. Like I just like how that card looks. You know, yeah. and I even. Like, up until, what was it, uh, Haunted Mine and, like, Pyramids Edition? Like, I like those cards. It wasn't until the Premium Gold and the Gold Secret Rares that I really just started being like, okay, these are a bit, like, they're just too gaudy, in my opinion. Like, even more so, they, they in my opinion, like, they look even more ridiculous than, like, Starlights and Ultimates and those types of things. And they're just, like, not, I don't know. I don't, no. I agree with you. I don't think many people like the newer gold rares. I think it really just has been since ever since haunted mine. I don't really think I've liked a gold rare. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I don't I think I've ever gone my way to say, Oh, I'm putting the gold rare version of card in my yeah. deck. I think there if are a I couple. Had the option to, I would, if I had the option to choose not to do that, I would probably go and do. <laughs> yeah. That. Like I liked gold, gold Sark. Cause that was funny. I liked gold, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I liked Gold, the Dark World from Gold series. I thought that was funny. I don't even remember if he was a Gold Rare or he was a Common, but I just liked that he was from the Gold set, and that was funny to me when I was 12, you know, uh, when that came out. Yep. <laughs> That's crazy. That was like 15 years ago. Um, but yeah, um, I think one of the reasons why a set, like the more recent Gold series, if you look at Maximum Gold El Dorado, despite the fact that a number of those cards are very good and very competitive, um, the value of that set is not very high. In fact, you could buy it for under MSRP almost immediately. And I think one of the reasons is there were no chase cards, right? There was nothing, there mm. was just like, or rather the chase cards were just the same rarity as the regular cards. Like, oh, okay, you know, you could get access code and that was your value, but it's like, you know, that will not retain value. As soon as access have you, code, have you seen the price of like blue eyes from that set? Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's so is it, low. Is it very low? Yeah, it's very yeah, very, very low. low. I refuse to sell them. I told Max we're just holding on to these yeah. forever. Yeah, but like yeah, because because when you look at a set like like that gold series, right? Um, as soon as access code gets a printing in any other rarity, right now access code has like the one hundred dollar original secret rare from from attorney code, and then like the fifty or sixty dollar reprint from uh you know, uh, Maximum Gold El Dorado. As soon as access code is in anything, if it's in, uh, you know, battle, is it confirmed to be in battles? I, I feel like I vaguely remember it being mentioned it was going to be in something. It, it's not in Mavens, right? I don't think. It's in, um, it's in, it's in battles. It's in yeah. battles, yeah. So as soon as access uh-huh. code gets reprinted in literally anything, that gold rare access code that, as you just said, Jeff, nobody wants is going to tank, right? Yeah. And then there goes all the value of your of your gold set, right? Or, you know, like, uh, Anaconda got banned, right? And that was, like, the second most ex- expensive card in gold in the gold series. And now it's, like, you know, mm-hmm. what is that there left? And then Ghost from the Past 1 was incredibly expensive on the resale because of the Ghost Rares. And then Ghost from the Past 2 is is not as much. Like, you can get that for under MSRP. But if that set was just the Ultras and didn't have the Chase cards, I think that would be, like an absolutely worthless set honestly like it it would just have nothing and like i do i do like the fact that they're that they're branching out now and they're putting these chase cards 
in non-core sets, right? Like Starlights were a way to get more interest in the core sets of just like, okay, you have to high roll, but it's not a guarantee that opening a box of the newest set is just lighting your money on fire, right? Like you could just get a Starlight and that just pays for everything and then you're just free rolling with some exceptions. Obviously now, if you pull like the Ninja Starlight Rare, that's just worth less than a box. Yeah, so like, we're sick, <laughs> you know? But, you know, other than that, right? Like, you know, you could get, you know, one of the other ones, that's fine. Um, <clears throat> And I would personally like to see them put chase cards in some capacity. Like now that we've seen ghosts coming into side sets which used to be only main set cards we've seen the deck building packs uh you know like the ones that used to just be secret and supers transition into these new packs that have collector's rares and they have a chase variant in them which i also think is awful i think that the those side sets are terrible right but if they didn't have collector's rares imagine what they would be right like mm -hmm. I mean, even with collector's rares they're bad so sure that, that but imagine <laughs> yeah i know i'm just saying like i'm just saying like we're seeing at least like when you open a box of that set you know like um and and then we saw them try to do the same thing with the legendary duelist set except unfortunately the ghost rares they picked were unplayable like i i guess like we've seen them kind of save the value of some of these sets or at least save the interest of some of these sets like Ghost from the Past 2 no longer really has any relevant cards, but you can just still get a Ghost Dark Magician Girl, right? Or a Ghost Blue Eyes White White Dragon. And those cards, while not, you know, like, insane, they will retain value forever, right? Like, a Ghost from the Past 2 Blue Eyes White Dragon will have some value forever. And it will kind of, you know, like, save those sets in, in the long term, I think. When you look at, like, um... What's I was just thinking of? Uh... Oh god. Like uh the the Megatons, right? Those don't have any chase cards at all. Which I think they should, honestly. Kind of where I was leading with this is I'm kind of hoping now that they're done with the three now that they're done with this block of tins, the ones they started in 2020 to make the tablet, right? Now you have all three pieces of the tablet. Now they can move on to a different like aesthetic or a different con 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 configuration. I'm hoping they will put Starlights or Ghosts or something, you know, Pharaoh's Rares, whatever, Collector's Rares, anything, or a new rarity, Ultimates, you know, like whatever. I hope they put some sort of chase variant in the tins of cards they missed from the core sets. Like, I don't want to see DPE being a Starlight in a core set two sets later, or three sets later, because they missed it in Burst of Destiny. I would like mm. the tins to pick up that slack, Right. Of like, oh, we didn't make Magnumut a Starlight. Okay, in the tins, we'll make it a Starlight or something. Like, I think that is what I would like to see. And I think that will help those products as well. Which I think a lot of people's big complaints on the tins this year were every single good card was in the same rarity slot. And a bunch of the cards in that rarity slot weren't even that good or worth anything. And like, even though they, you know, got like Ash reprint and, and Drop the Reprint, you know, and all those cards... Again, because the only value in these tins are just reprints, as soon as those cards get reprinted again, a lot of the value is gone, right? Yeah. And I think there needs to be some exclusivity to these products. And as Modena was saying, like, yeah, you know, like, in, you know, years down the line, you know, when the Ishizu cards are inevitably, you know, inevitably power crept or no longer allowed in tournament play because they just all got banned, you'll, you will be able to look back at Mavens and be like, well, 
you know, at least we can get, you know, like uh, a Pharaoh's Rare Gold Sark, which presumably will never be available on any product ever again, because how would that even, you know, right. like why would a card of that rarity, you know, like I say that now never be available ever again, but I'm sure they'll find a way to prove me, me wrong now that I've said it. <laughs> but I do think there needs to be just some some sort of exclusive. I would also like to see them do something like that in uh, starter deck or structure decks. Also, I know this, this is reaching, but Japan has uh, these little power up packs. So they have the structure deck, and then for example, the tokens and a couple cards. Like I believe in the Crystal Beast one because I was following this. I think the new rainbow, uh, the new continuous spell was in like the power-up pack and it wasn't part of the actual structure deck and the cards in the power-up pack you could get secret rare versions like it was just random but you could pull like higher rarity versions of some of the structure deck premier cards and i don't really know the cost associated with that like i'm sure there's a reason they don't do it in the tcg right because like if if the ocg does it and then the tcg actively changes it they're probably some reason why why they do that i'm not you know privy to but in my opinion i think that would add a lot of you know like value to these structure decks i'm just like oh you can pull like a sort of chase and i'm not saying they would be you know like starlight you know one in every 10 cases it would be like maybe one in every display you'd get like the secret rare one you know and like that'd be kind of cool yeah i think that would make it a bit yeah. more interesting but that's just so my that's actually like a kind of like common Japanese game thing to do mm -hmm. because also there's a game which is not a good game in my opinion, but they do something cool uh, and it's voice courts <laughs> okay. where in their starter decks, um, some of their their starter decks and down the line end up being worth um, like $150 or something because the starter decks each come with you get like the random or you get like uh, each starter deck comes with like three foil cards and then also each starter deck comes with a random foil card in the deck so any card in the deck could be could be foil oh and if it happens to be like the best card in the deck well then you just got a card that is now like a hundred dollars interesting so like every um, common could just be foil and right. every deck has one common that's a foil oh that is that is pretty interesting well it could be anything it could be yeah. like the rare in it and then yeah, or course. whatever yeah. but whatever it yeah. is yeah like it could be like you open the crystal beast structure deck and like your your crystal conclave is foil just because that was the one that, that's interesting i i don't know how they would do that and i feel like that's a lot logistically that i'm not gonna say like they need to do that definitely but that is yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. that's that that's definitely interesting and and it's probably oh that is pretty cool I don't know how they would really implement that, but that is interesting. And that's, I don't know. And, and that does kind of, yeah, like that, that's kind of what I would want in these types of products. But yeah, um, I think that's kind of all we want to talk about today. We've hit about an hour and the last 10 minutes of it was probably nothing that anybody cared about. If you're not super, yeah, super deep, if you're not super, <laughs> if you're not super, super deep into collecting, you probably did not care about what, what we were just talking about for the last. Or maybe you just like but... listening to Ryan's, Ryan's voice. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Basically. Um, so yeah, uh, any, any last thoughts on Mavens, anything you think is like super good about it? Like, oh, we didn't talk about the sleeves. I don't have a whole lot of pain on the sleeves, but I do think that's another interesting, an interesting dynamic to the product is like, they will presumably never reprint these sleeves, or at least you will never be able to buy the sleeve separately. I don't know. Like I, you know, that would make, that would be weird. So there are Sky Striker sleeves and like people like Sky Striker, right? So presumably that will add some amount of value is like, okay, you, you pay your money for these, for this pack, you get some packs and, oh, I got the engaged sleeves. Like, sure. That's, you know, a, a couple bucks because packs of sleeves are expensive, you know, <laughs> and then you get a pack of sleeves, 
you know, and these are probably not ones I'd want on my main deck, but like, you know, they're they're fine. Like, you'll just use them. And I think that's uh that's probably a cool dynamic to this product that will eventually be driven into the dirt because as Bowden was talking about, so much of this set will be mm-hmm. open that that I'm sure there will just be a warehouse of engaged sleeves because because <laughs> some of the vendors, right? Because some of the vendors will, will be like, I opened 200 cases of mavens <laughs> you know i have you know i have you know like 700 packs of engaged sleeves <laughs> you know or whatever and it's like okay great but i think in the in the short term at least i think that's like a cool little bonus of like just getting sleeves like that's a product you'll actually use right like probably i think the last that's thing that met a lot of people deck, will. Right? yeah yeah because i think the last think product cool. that gave us sleeves in a product was like the noble knight box and europe didn't even get the sleeves the european noble knight box didn't even have sleeves in it only the north american one did and that was a whole other can of worms a 50 dollar product for nothing but those are a lot now on the secondary market sealed of that is infinite now so what do so what do i know but and it, oh and that one had a little variant pack that one had a little variant pack it was just a big expensive structure deck and it had a little pack in it or you could get platinum rares of cards that weren't in the structure deck, like sought after reprints. They should do that again with structure decks. We haven't seen that since 2015, I don't think, with one of the starter decks. But anyways, um, yeah, that's all I have, I guess. Any other closing thoughts on any of this? No. It like might be interesting to see uh, if people can get mavens in time for the YCS. Like, obviously, if people yeah. are flying in, and like you know, will your locals sell it to you beforehand? Haha, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Obviously, you know, people will be able to get it. Like, distro will ship it out. Might be like Tuesday, Wednesday, or something. You fly out like Thursday or Friday morning. But yeah. you know, will there be enough like to go people, around? Yeah, I would say like I'm people like us or people with means. Obviously, it'll be very easy to get. But I worry more about yeah. the people who don't have like the connections or the money to get things last second because you know if you need something last second and it's at a ycs chances are the prices are going to be double what they normally would be yeah. right also deckless submission closes yes. at 10 a.m now right like yeah. it's so different to what it was before which i think is awful especially so when is with the set to that this, comes out wednesday that's and thursday. an awful thing to do <laughs> it is pretty it's pretty bad yeah <laughs> I understand from okay. I guess this will be the last thing. I understand from a logistic point of view, having a having a deckless be due early is a good thing. I don't even have a problem with deckless being due Friday. The only thing I have a problem with is if you pre-reg, which you are encouraged to to, to do, and in fact, if you didn't for Niagara, you chances are you couldn't even play. Uh, your deckless has to be turned in by 10 a.m. or else you receive a game loss for round one. If the event does not cap, and you do not pre-reg and you just walk into the venue and sign up, technically, you have six extra hours to work on your deck list and get cards before turning it in. Right. Because you mm-hmm. submit a deck list, handwritten, or, you know, like, you, you, you know, whatever, at the event. It off, whatever. So it is a competitive advantage to not pre-register because you get extra time to submit a deck list, assuming you are actually allowed to enter, which you are not always allowed to. So the only thing I have no problem with deckless being due on Friday. I just think I just think it, it should shouldn't be, like be ten a.m. Midnight Friday. It I think just be it before. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, think it should be is... later in the day on Friday. 
that is that is my only thought on the on the matter is i just think it should be later in the day on friday i think the deadline should be the same if you pre-register or if you do not i think it is very bizarre that there is a advantage technically to not pre-registering because you get extra time to work on a deck list which is not the, the end of the world disadvantages you won't be able to register. Yeah, the disadvantage is sometimes you can't play. <laughs> so that's a pretty big one, you know. Um, but yeah, that's it. I would also like to see NA maybe eventually incorporate Neuron to pre-register because you could do that for the for Utrecht, right? You could just you could yeah. just fill out your necklace on Neuron and submit it that way. I don't know why NA hasn't done that yet, but I'm sure there's some reason. And I'm hoping by next year an app to register for events yeah, yeah i'm just hoping by next year um it will be consistent through all regions and maybe these issues that we have will be will be eliminated um you know we have like sort of the we have sort of like the off season i guess uh after pasina i think there's a remote uh ycs and then nothing until the new year until um ycs sydney and then vegas so or when is the European one? I actually don't know. Is there European YCS in December that I'm just forgetting? There's, there's Pasadena, and then Dortmund is oh. uh, the week after. That's the week after. Okay, then, yeah, so, sure. And then Co- Co- Costa Rica, end of November, yep. and then remote in December, and then Sydney. Oh, there just is no off-season this year because there's a remote in December when nope. usually there are no events in December. Okay, great. So this year we have no off-season, so maybe yeah, nothing. Pasadena, Norman, maybe, Costa Rica, Sydney, yeah. yeah. Maybe nothing will get changed because there's and literally all of, and all of those will just be probably using a Shizu. So yeah. have fun for those yep. months. All right, fantastic. So thank you all for listening to the uh, fourth episode of our podcast. Um, I think the next one we should probably do Patreon questions. I think I think that would be a good one. So I'm saying mm-hmm. that now, and we can get started on that ahead of time. So. But uh, yeah, thank you for listening to this. Was, this concludes, I guess, our first month of the of the of the podcast, and um, I guess we'll I can't be back. We've been doing this for a month already. I feel like I we know. just started this. I know. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we'll be back with um, the recap of YCS Pasadena uh, next week. So stay tuned for that. Thanks.